Well, it is a great honor to be here and to preach here this afternoon. I have uh, snuck, on, snuck along occasionally uh, on a Sunday afternoon to join you for your service, uh, but it's a great joy to come and to share God's Word. Let's uh, pray before we come to look at it together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you have spoken to us in words that we might understand more clearly who you are and how you would have us to live and to respond and to know you. And we pray you would bless us then as we look at this passage today. Give us minds and hearts ready to hear what you have to say, we pray. We ask this for ourselves and we ask it for the kids who've gone out to their classes too. Meet with us, each one, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So this series in 1 Peter is called A Living Hope. Um, And the, the basic idea is that whilst living in this world, we are exiles. We are living away from home. And uh, home is ultimately is with the Lord Jesus Christ and in heaven. And that's what we are looking forward to. And it poses a great challenge then to live in this life, in this world, differently because we now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been saved by him. We've come to know him. And so we don't fit in and belong here. And uh, we are to be shaped by that good news, the hope that we have the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. And back in chapter 2, Peter wrote, Dear friends, this is verse 11, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then he has explained some of the different ways in which he wants us to live differently in this world because we are Christians. Now, inevitably, that's not going to be easy. It's going to be costly, and it will involve suffering. And the theme then of chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, that was read a little bit earlier in the service, is suffering for doing good. Peter poses an important question in verse 13 of chapter 3. He said, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And we generally assume if we're doing good, nobody's going to want to do us any harm. But then he, but he's putting it, is, but that he then has a but in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So he's saying to us that he expects us that even when we're trying to live good lives, which you think would be fine, he says, actually, because you're living in this world that you don't belong to, that's going to cause friction. It's going to cause suffering. Now, our natural tendency is to avoid pain and harm and suffering. We want to, we adjust our actions so that we don't have to. But Peter is saying, actually, I want you to do what is right, even when that's costly. So he's encouraging us to do good, even when we then end up suffering for doing so. And he's saying, yes, it's worthwhile. And basically, in this section, then, he gives us three reasons why 
Suffering shouldn't stop us from doing good. Being prepared to pay the price for following the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, even though that is hard. He tells us, first of all, it is the way of blessing. Secondly, it's the way of opportunity. And thirdly, it's the way of Jesus and victory. So first of all, then, doing good is the way of blessing. This is the point of verses 8 through to 12. And you notice in verse 9, He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this is what you were called to do so that you may inherit a blessing. So he's saying, do suffer, don't respond with insults because this is the way that you will be blessed. Verses 10 to 12 is a quotation from the Old Testament, from Psalm 34. And uh, he's saying, living a good life that is pleasing to God will result in blessing from God. So he's saying, it is worthwhile for you. And those around you, it brings blessings. Now, verse 8 begins with a set of characteristics if we're going to be a blessing. So he tells us we need to be like-minded sympathetic, to love one another, to be compassionate and humble. So he's starting with our hearts, our character. That's where the Bible always starts, by when we come to know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, he changes us, transforms us to be new and different people. So he's saying be like-minded. That means being of unity of mind in terms of thinking harmoniously. He's not saying that everybody has to think exactly the same. But he's saying, in terms of the big things we believe about God and the Lord Jesus and priorities, we're of one mind. He's saying, be sympathetic. Have a feeling and a concern for other people that's willing to draw alongside and support and be considerate of others. Have love for one another. Brothers and sisters together. Be compassionate, tender and kind-hearted. Feeling generous in your In your very belly is the idea. And humble, an attitude and a general mental outlook that is dependent on God and recognizes we are nothing but what God has made us by saving us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, is this a description of you? Are you like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble? That's the type of person that God wants to change you to be like. We all want other people to be like that towards us. But he's saying, no, no, this is how you are to be. Now that leads then to be people who are willing to turn the other cheek. So he says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. He is following The instruction of the Lord Jesus, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
We all know that expression, eye for an eye. It was uh, Old Testament law. The, it was called the lex telonius. The aim was to limit vengeance. So when somebody does something to you, you only go back so far, back to them. No more than. It stops every insult becoming a bloodbath. Because you think what happens, you know, somebody insults you, well, the tendency is, I'm going to go one better. You know, because I've got to punish them a bit. And of course, then they come back at you more. And so every little thing then just goes boom, doesn't it? And so the aim of that, that, that was to limit it, to say any response should be proportionate. But Jesus is saying, do the complete opposite. He's saying, when something happens to you, turn the other cheek. Don't exact vengeance at all. In fact, do the very opposite. Now, is this just nuts or what? Have you ever been in a situation where you've been treated unjustly and unfairly? And God's word is saying, don't respond, don't fight for justice. Like, is it really saying that? It's not that saying that justice doesn't matter. It's saying it's not for you to pursue it. It's saying give that to God. Jesus gives various different examples. If somebody makes you walk one mile, walk another, and, and so on. And then he goes on to say to, we are to love our enemies. Why? Because then we're being like God. If you're a child of God, he's saying, exhibit the same characteristic and attitude of mind and heart that God has shown you in the gospel. Because you were evil and hostile against God. That's how we are in our sin. And yet God came in the Lord Jesus and, and paid the price so that we can be forgiven. He's saying, have the same attitude that, that you see in the gospel towards you, towards other people. And that's what Peter is saying. Following the Lord Jesus. He's saying, be like God in the way you respond to criticism, insults, unkindness. Be a blessing. Now, hearing the theory is easy, isn't it? But I can tell you, when you're in that situation and you're being mistreated for doing good, the very last thing that you want to do is to just say, I'll turn the other cheek. Everything in you is wells up to say, this isn't right. I need to fight for justice. I need to make my case. I need to say this. I need to put them down. Duh, 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 duh. And to actually be able to then hand it over to God and say, Lord, you sort out the justice. I'm going to be kind. I had a situation that I went through in the past year. And I, I, I can remember the day that I got to where I was challenged by uh, Genesis chapter 50, where um, Joseph is talking about his life and the way his brothers had treated him. And he says, you know, am I in the place of God? 
You meant to harm me, but God meant it for good. And then he says, I will provide for you. So there's, you see there that, that uh, Joseph is saying, I'm going to leave justice with God. I see that God has worked in this situation for good. And my response towards you, even though you treated me awfully, is going to be to bless you. And as I reflected on that, I felt God pressing in my heart to say, that's how I want you to respond. I said, the first, said Lord, the first two. I can do the first two, but not the third one. You know, I can leave it with you, and I can see that you've worked out a good, but be a blessing to these people, really? And then convicted me that, yeah, that's how I was to respond. Because that was the way of God, and that's the way of the gospel. But they don't deserve it. No, but that's the whole idea of grace, isn't it? Showing kindness to people who don't deserve it. But they haven't said sorry. Yeah, but I leave that all with God to sort out. And I will show kindness. So maybe you have a group of friends and there's tensions and falling out and nasty things are said. Are there ways that you can find ways to be a blessing? Perhaps you've got awkward neighbors who make your life a misery. And you, you're the natural way to think, how can I get back at them? Maybe think about how you could be a blessing. Maybe at work you have tensions and awkwardness and people are competitive and so forth and, and it's very easy that you have to stand your ground and so forth, but maybe you have to think, how can I be a blessing and show grace in this situation? Remember what he says here, seek to be a blessing and you will be blessed. God honours those who honour him with their lives. We're to be those who have responded to his grace and to show forth that grace. So when suffering comes, this is the way of blessing. It's unnatural, but it's the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's the way of opportunity. This is verses 14 to 17 where he says, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed, do what, not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You see, what he's saying is that that behaviour of turning the other cheek of being a blessing even when you're being put under pressure is so radical and different to how people behave naturally in this world, it will make people ask questions. Why do you go on blessing and giving despite the ridicule and the hassle and the insults and the injustice that you experience? And the answer is in verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. The Greek word here is apologia. It means to make a defense. It means giving an explanation as to why you believe what you believe concerning the, the Lord Jesus Christ and concerning your hope of, of heaven and eternal life and forgiveness of sins. You see, Christianity does make sense. 
Like when you stand back, there's some bits about Christianity that are totally weird, aren't there? What, you believe in heaven and hell? Yes. You believe that this man who lived in this world was actually God? You believe that he died and then rose again on the third day? Yes, but what's fascinating about Christianity is it's all based around things that happened in history. Things that actually happened with this man, Jesus, which is backed up by historical events and all the evidence is is there. It's not illogical. It is backed up by truth claims that all surround the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just some nice idea or story. It is actually true. And every Christian should be willing and ready to explain that. You know, why, why do you believe in God? Why do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Why do you believe that God has accepted you and so you're going to heaven? And then you give an answer. And that's every Christian's responsibility. Now, there'll be some people who are much better at doing it and answering all the complicated questions that people ask and uh, are a gift to the church in being able to put things clearly and succinctly. But every Christian should be able to say, why I have hope. This series is called Living Hope, isn't it? Why do you have hope? I hope every one of you can say, I have hope because Jesus died for my sins. I have hope because Jesus rose again from the dead. That's why I have hope, because of him. And what Peter is saying here is that when you live in this radical way that is so different to how the culture expects you to, then people will ask questions. And they'll say, why do you behave like this? Now, I alluded to my my own story and uh, some people that I know who have I've known for a few years and have never, ever asked me anything about Christianity. They've never asked me even what I do for a living. It just never becomes a topic of conversation. It's like they didn't want to know, but in this past year they're going, why did you behave like you did? They were saying, if it had been to me, I would have taken them to the cleaners, but you didn't. Why didn't you do that? And suddenly you have a little opportunity to say something about the gospel to people who are totally, don't really want to know, but they're just like intrigued by this behavior. And that's what Peter is expecting will happen. That's why back in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, he said what he said. Live such good lives among the pagans that they they ask questions and they go, why are you responding like this? And then you can give the reason for the hope that you have. That's why doing good is the way of opportunity. He's saying live radical, culturally different, gracious, generous, considerate lives. You know, be these people who are like-minded and sympathetic and loving and compassionate and humble. And then people will ask questions. And then that's your opportunity to then say, well, actually, it's because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an opportunity to explain the gospel to people who've become curious by your behavior. And perhaps God will use it and it will start them on that road of discovery. 
It might just be the first thing, or it might be a link in the chain. Often people, it's, isn't it? It's people, uh, are, it takes a long time from first contact to becoming a Christian. It's not that God can't save people quickly, but often it happens over a long period of time, and this can be one of the parts of that, that journey. But the call is for us, all of us, to be living these lives in obedience to Christ because of what he's done for us, because we have this living hope, and then in the expectation that as we rub shoulders with people, that will then generate questions, and then we're ready to answer. It's called responsive evangelism. See, our life on their own isn't enough. People... You cannot witness to Christ purely by your life. You need to have words too that explain. But the words often come in response to the way that you live. Now there's a place too for going and telling people, isn't there? About the gospel. And Paul, as a preacher, was often looking for those opportunities where he could stand up and proclaim the message of the gospel. But every Christian is to be that individual, salt and light, out in the world where God has placed them, living a life and then ready to respond when the questions come. I think of a guy that I was at school with who suffered a mental breakdown and you know, ended up in, in hospital. And uh, most people, out of sight, out of mind, didn't care, weren't interested. I mean, I was only a teenager, but I'd never been in a place like that, but I went to visit him, just as a friend. And then when he got better, he started asking questions and reading his Bible, and eventually he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it works, isn't it? When we do good, it leads to opportunities that, for the gospel. That's the point, a godly lifestyle, even when it hurts, plus words of explanation that is what God uses to bring people to faith. So, as you go out from here today and into this week, I don't know what your week is going to be entail. But you need to be thinking like this. You're, you're living as an exile with a living hope. You're living away from home, which is with Christ and his people. You're living out in this world. You're called to honor Christ. And as you do that, sometimes that will cause issues. Other times it will cause questions. And then you're ready to respond and tell people the reason for the hope that you have. Now, all of this, he says, is to be done in a context of a natural fear, but that fear is overcome by the the fear of Christ. And when we do get opportunities to speak, we're not jumping down people's throats, but we're to speak with gentleness and and respect. Look at what he says in, in verse 16 and 17, keeping a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You see, we need to be, it comes down to this, isn't it? We need to be more concerned with what Jesus thinks 
than what people think. And that's what will allow us to go a different way to the culture and what is expected and say, no, I'm going to follow what Christ says because I believe that's the way of blessing, but it's also the way of opportunity. Thirdly, doing good is the way of Jesus and victory. Verses 18 through to 22. Now, verses 19 and 20, I'll just read them to you. It says of Jesus, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. These are difficult and confusing words. And uh, you can go look them up and you'll see how there's many different views as to exactly what they mean and what he's referring to and so forth. I am not going to get lost and bogged down in the detail of that because I think the main point of the paragraph is straightforward and encouraging. And the main point is this, that unjust suffering is at the very heart of the gospel that saves you and there is a victory through him who suffered that way. You know, he's talking, he's saying to us, be willing to suffer for doing good. He says, because that's what Jesus did, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus had no sin. He was perfect. If you think about it, at the heart of the gospel, it's a great miscarriage of justice because one who is, has no sin is made sin. He is treated as sin. He is the biggest unjust sufferer there is in the world. The last person who should have been on that cross is the Son of God. And yet that's the way we're saved. And he's saying, do you really think if you follow the Lord Jesus that you're not going to be called to suffer unjustly sometimes too? He's saying, keep going, even if you have to suffer, because that is the way of the Lord Jesus. Nothing is being asked of us when we're being asked to turn the other cheek and to be a blessing to those who are being hostile to us. Nothing is being asked that was not done by our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the greatest unjust sufferer. And his suffering, where did it lead? It led to glory. And so it will for you and I. Not because our suffering saves, because his suffering saves us. But that is the route that God takes us in this world. You know, it's like a J curve. G, J for Jesus, you know. But Jesus went down and suffered, and then he rose and went up to glory. That's Philippians chapter 2. In fact, it's 1 Peter chapter 5 as well. But that's the pattern. We want direct up, don't we? We don't like the fact that we have to go on this J, but actually following the Jesus involves suffering, but it leads to glory. And that's the point of these verses that he's saying. And the alternative, of course, is just to walk away from the Lord Jesus. Have an easy life now, but then end up under judgment. Let's just, I'm going to walk you through the passage. If you've got your Bible, have it open in front of you. I'm not going to get bogged down I'm going to probably leave you with questions, but I hope you get the, the flow of what he's saying. So, 
Uh, there will like be four points that come up on the screen that just summarize it. So, Jesus suffered unjustly to bring us to God. That's verse 18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is a simple statement of the gospel. You deserve to be punished, but God in the Lord Jesus is punished instead so that we can go free. Wonderful. That's what is happening as Jesus dies. It's the very heart of the gospel. He proclaimed his victory to the imprisoned spirits from the days of Noah. That's verses 19 and 20. Now, some say he preached by the Spirit in the past through Noah. Uh, Other people say it's after the resurrection. But the point is that after his suffering, he proclaims his victory. He accomplished a great victory through his death. Baptism saves us through the resurrection of Jesus. Verses, second half of verse 20 and verse 21. It was only a few people, eight in all. He's talking about Noah who was saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying that uh, uh, Noah, water, baptism, that's where his mind is going. And baptism is about being washed clean before God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism pictures. He's not saying baptism itself saves, but he's saying that's what baptism pictures, that we have been washed clean by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and sealed by his resurrection. Which leads to verse 22. Christ is reigning, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Christ has all power and authority and all submit to him. He is king. So, the main point, back to the main point, don't get bogged down in the detail. If you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be unjust suffering, but this is the road to victory. Just think of it as the J-curve. That's the simplest way to, as Jesus went down, he came down from heaven, didn't he, and into this world, and then he became obedient, obedient to death on the cross. And then God raised him up and now he is super exalted. And he's saying those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ will also suffer in this world. But you're on the journey, you're living in hope of being with him where he reigns forever and ever. This is the road of Jesus and the way to victory. So don't give up on doing good. When you're tempted to compromise, tempted not to live by the way of the Lord Jesus, tempted to flash back when somebody says something to you because you want to be justified, remember the Lord Jesus who didn't hurl insults but rather repay evil with blessing because that's what you've been called to do and that is the way you will be blessed and it is the way that you will be given opportunity to speak of the hope that you have. And this is the way of the Lord Jesus and the way that leads to glory. It's a tough call being a Christian. 
costs everything to follow the Lord Jesus in this world. But he's saying it's worthwhile for blessings now, for opportunities, and for the glory to come. Is it worthwhile being a Christian? Absolutely. Let's keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's seek to live like he does in this world as we look forward to the day when we will be with him and with him forever.